Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CXCast. Sam Stern joined by Jenny Wise. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Sam. And Jenny and I are going to do a year in review of customer experience. What happened in 2018, the big trends? Jenny and I have picked out four things that we want to talk about, recap. And so the question we're answering on today's episode essentially is, what happened this year in customer experience? First big trend is that customer experience scores stagnated. This is a trend that wasn't just in 2018, but we had to sort of admit it was a thing in 2018. (laughs) (laughs) It had been happening. It has now happened. In our CX index rankings in particular, we see a real flat line in scores. The top brands aren't getting better and some of them are regressing. There's really this sort of fat tire effect, I've been calling it, where it's just sort of clumping around the middle, uh, the okay in our band. Mm -hmm. So the band has been sort of compressing around okay. The scores at the bottom have been getting better, but not better than okay. And good and excellent have been falling back. And I think it's a sign that some of the initial find and fix efforts that could, you know, address the sort of glaring red light problems have run their course. And companies are running out of sort of the easy stuff to fix to make it not so painful to do business with them anymore. But it's not delight. It's not going beyond anything that's okay. What does that mean? At this point, they have to hire new employees or re-architect to really be able to solve some problems? Uh, Unfortunately... Many of them, it means they're giving up on CX. Okay. They're getting frustrated. They decided, let's not do the hard stuff and we'll just Correct. give up or stay the same. I thought this was easy. These sort of low effort improvements will never end. And so when they ran into that wall of diminishing marginal returns from the sort of find and fix stuff, a lot of companies are sort of getting frustrated and cynical about customer experience as a big point of emphasis for the company. Mm-hmm. They do need to go beyond that, but um, they are sort of right now feeling a little stuck and a little cynical about whether CX is an, an as important a corporate initiative as they thought it was. We've mentioned that it's stagnated. It sounds like it was also a year of self-discovery and acceptance that CX isn't going well. But was the stagnation something that's been holding now for several years, or was this sort yeah. of the first year where there was a lull? I recall that we were talking about that same trend 2016 to 2017, not a real change in okay. scores. So I would say it's roughly a three-year trend at least where we're mm-hmm. not seeing much positive movement in the scores, you know, with some maybe some exceptions, one-off brands or one-off right. industries. That's our first big takeaway from the year. I think the second one is perhaps getting to your question, what are companies doing about this? The second trend to share on this episode is the rise of the X. D function. What is the XD function? So if anyone has listened to past episodes, you've probably heard me talk about this before. Topic near and dear to my heart. So XD stands for experience design. And we're saying that this is the year for the rise of the experience design function because for a few years now, companies have been hiring more user researchers, user experience design pros, right? Thinking that they need someone to think about the user and do some testing, user testing during agile process. So let's put someone in that sort of agile team with engineering. But this year, it really picked up steam. We got to the point where in some companies, we're seeing that there is more demand than resources because companies are now bought in that they need this type of experience design and customer first innovation and definition and refinement of experiences. And it also is sort of a new term actually, as well. And it happened because there were so many people involved 
in the design thinking process from doing user research to brainstorming to prototyping to user testing. And there are all these different titles that are involved there. Everything from the user researcher, of course, for that first group to a product manager who may also be doing these roles, Um, especially we hear them called this in smaller organizations. And so we had to coin some term to be the umbrella that defines the people who are responsible for defining and refining these experiences based on user-first and user-centric goals. It's sort of a collection of different Mm -hmm. roles in different departments in the organization. Is your sense that this is a trend that can maybe arrest the stagnation in CX scores? How big an impact can this collection of roles have at a, at a company? That gets a lot into the sort of design maturity of an organization, mm. which is also something that we're spending a lot of time looking at now in benchmarking. And we're actually getting questions from companies about how can we mature design because they're realizing that this is important and that this may be able to help CX. Um, and it can definitely make an impact. But again, only if they're empowered. When we begin to see XD pros who are mainly viewed as visual designers, right, or prototypers, aren't given the resources to do really valuable and value add user research, and then also aren't viewed at the strategic level, right? right? So they can level up those findings and say, hey, I've identified this new product or service, or maybe we should reach this audience in a different way. Only when they're empowered to do that, I think, are they able to make sort of really large changes to CX. But hopefully, which I think you're alluding to, if they gain more sort of steam and power, we'll begin to see some changes in those scores as sort of products and services begin to shift. Okay, interesting. And is there a huge sort of uh, war for this talent? Are these roles that are... So there are a lot of people who are beginning to acquire these skills uh-huh. um, to different degrees and sort of different levels, right? So there's a lot of certificate programs out there that people are participating in, a lot of full-time degrees that are out there. And so I do think that this is an area where people are starting to invest in and build their careers. So if you're looking to hire this skill, I think there are people to hire. I think the hardest question is, what are we hiring for? What do we expect them to do? And what should the job description be to make sure we're hiring in the right talent at the right time? Because you might be bringing them in and casting them out, so to speak, because they'll be like, well, wait a minute, this organization, this is not the type of place where my work has much impact because I'm not empowered. Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear it at the higher levels. Like, oh, I'm just prototyping all day, but I also thought I would be doing interaction design or something else. So the third topic is companies tackle employee experience. Yes. So employee experience really came into its own this year as a topic of interest, at least in the um, minds of our clients, uh, the demand that we got, the questions we got. The encouraging thing, I I think there's some self-selection coming to Forrester framing it this way, but it was encouraging to me is why do you want to improve the employee experience? Um, I hope they do, but why do they want to? And the number one reason they gave is to create a more customer-centric culture. And they, I think, have rightly diagnosed the, the lack of empowerment, the lack of support, the lack of connection for different employees in different parts of the business to the value that they help the organization create and deliver to clients, that that is an inhibitor in better CX delivery. 
Mm-hmm. I agree with that diagnosis. That's where a lot of our clients have arrived at on their own. Uh, I mean, we've been talking about it with them, but that they have figured out in their minds that EX is holding back CX. And this isn't like old school service profit chain. We need to make them happy. It's a newer, I think more nuanced understanding of the relationship between EX and CX that if we don't enable and empower these employees to deliver the right customer experience, there's no way they can do it. So mm-hmm. it's not like make them happy. It's make them productive and successful at serving our clients Mm -hmm. well. So that's where a lot of these efforts have been focused. That's where a lot of CX teams have sort of waded in to the EX conversation happening at their firms to try and help, try and connect it to what they need help with on Mm -hmm. CX. And so I have some optimism about those efforts at companies, the ability of that to help improve or get back on an improvement, you know, steeper improvement trajectory, customer experience scores. And so this year... I think it's the year that people finally began to put some time and thought and effort into this. Yeah, obviously some had gotten there before this year, right. but this year was the critical the mass of point. companies saying there's now this person or this committee or this team really focusing on the employee experience question. And we're beyond HR is doing its thing, technology is doing its thing, operations doing its thing. We're trying, it's not easy, but we're trying to get those different owners of different parts of the employee experience, the technology employees use in IT, the work rules that they follow and who they are based in HR, the workspace that they live in for operations, you know, and then there's a lot of other littler pieces that connect to that too, but those are the big buckets. Those people trying to coordinate Mm-hmm. their efforts and have it be more tuned towards outcomes the company cares about, like CX delivery being mm-hmm. better. What are some of the things that they did to actually help with this? You just rattled off a few, but are there any sort of core initiatives or priorities or starting points where you've seen companies go? Yeah, I, I did rattle off one that is probably the most common thing they're trying to do is surface who is everyone in our company <laughs> who owns some piece of what we should count as employee experience. That sounds oh, like a pretty simple starting point. It isn't in part because CIO and head of HR who are the probably top two in this, not in my experience and from our client's experience, like attached at the hip by mm-hmm. any means. Um, so they're having to coordinate a little bit better. And then who else do we pull in? Marketing's getting pulled in a lot for communications guidance to employees. CX is getting pulled in a lot because it matters and because they often have a lot of skills that help with understanding employees' needs as Mm -hmm. users, right? In that kind of discipline, similar to the XD function rise that you were just talking about. And design and innovation functions are getting pulled in because often one of the reasons in addition to customer experience delivery that companies want to improve employee experience is to get more innovation out of more employees. So they're trying to bring all those people together and then they're trying to do a better job of understanding what are the underlying factors that make employees engaged or not. We measure employee engagement, but we don't measure what are the things that happen for them that we can do around them that make them feel like they're more productive in their work, that make them feel like they're actually able to make their own decisions and get work done and provide value to their mm-hmm. colleagues or to our customers? We haven't really examined that closely enough. So they're really trying to measure the employee experience in a more nuanced way, more detailed way, and use that data to then bring that collective group together to make some real changes. So for listeners who might be interested in learning more or seeing some examples out there, are there any companies that you can name who have really invested in employee experience and might serve as a good case study or example. Yeah. One of my favorite examples recently that's come up in our research is Macy's. They've had this campaign called Time is Money. And what they've been trying to do is cut down the number of meetings or hours of meetings that employees spend uh, each week to give employees time back in their weeks to do other stuff. Oh, every company should probably try this. Literally every company. (laughs) So um, they've been using uh, Microsoft, I guess plug for Microsoft here, Microsoft Workplace Analytics Software to 
really capture data about meetings and share it with employees, with managers across the company. They've managed to shave four hours per week per employee off of meetings. That's great. Which is a lot of time. Yeah. Right? That's, um, do the math here, a tenth of a 40-hour work week back to you. That's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the employees appreciate it. They do. And, and then it it's guy, and then it's figuring out how do, we, how do we now use this time more productively? We'll yeah. you know, give you your time back and you can be more productive. And we are authentically caring about you and the way you spend your time here. Okay. So our final fourth topic that we want to share is sort of a summary of 2018. Physical, digital interactions fail. Ooh. That's, t- that's too bad. Ending on a sour yeah, note here. What's happening, Jenny? <laughs> um, so they do not all fail. So okay, what good. this is looking at, um, and it comes from the basis that I've been doing some assessments of retailers and sort of physical stores, sort of yeah. brick and mortar stores, um, and not just retailers too, also looking at banks and other industries who have been investing a lot this past year in integrating sort of digital into physical and helping to blur the boundaries of interaction. So having more cross-channel, seamless interactions. What I mean here is that companies who have physical locations have been trying to find ways to use digital products and services such as a mobile app to improve the offline experience. Yep. So creating these bridges. And sort of a flip to that is that that companies who created digital experiences like their mobile app for shopping are trying to find ways to make that app more useful when they're in store as well or facilitate offline behaviors such as in-store pickup. So you buy online and you pick up in-store. So we're seeing them try to create these bridges between physical and digital. And when we look at how the experiences actually are and what they result in, we find that there are quite a few sort of common fails that are appearing. Uh. So one of them is that the physical experience is harmed by the introduction of this new digitally facilitated service. And so an example there, and this is a well-known one, is we think about mobile ordering. Think about what a brand stands for and what the in-store interaction may have been and then how that changes it. You can begin to see by looking at new metrics sort of how that changes the interaction. So Starbucks, which was created to be a coffee house, a nice place where you go, right? A whole experience in the store when you get your coffee, instead of just being the product, even though the product is also great, created mobile ordering, which essentially just makes Starbucks now about the product. And for the people who still go into Starbucks for that coffee house experience, or even just because they don't want to use mobile ordering now have a worse experience yes. than they did before okay. the introduction to this digital touch point. So the convenience enhancement, theoretically, mm-hmm. for one set of customers is a, an experience degrading sort of outcome for another set of customers who want the coffeehouse experience and a convenience reducing outcome for right. a set of customers who aren't yet using the mobile order yes. feature, right? Now there are customers walking into the store, angrily seeing people just go in and grab their food while they're waiting this huge line because they're making mobile orders instead of for the people who are right there. And then it also creates a lot of confusion too of, you know, where's my order? Has it been made? Is the mobile order there? And it looks messy. So that's one example. And I'll just give another example really quickly of the reverse, which is that a lot of uh, mobile apps are introducing sort of in-store solutions. So either buy online, pick up in-store, or even sort of in-store guides when you're physically mm-hmm. in the location. And a lot of them have also just missed. I was looking at 
a mobile app just the other day where I wanted to purchase something online. On every single page is a header of where the local store is. Uh There's a huge call-out button telling me if it's available and to pick it up in store, whereas the sort of add it to my cart is all the way at the bottom of the screen. And so there, again, you're you're harming the mobile shopper by trying to push people in store where they may never want to go, and you're not giving them an option to opt out of that experience. Oh, that's so interesting. So they've created a much less streamlined and a much worse user experience on their mobile site by trying to create this integration with physical stores. Yeah, I mean, and the point, like when you describe that kind of, that the mobile app can serve as a store guide, I just assumed as you were saying that, that it was location, the context aware. So it's like if you're in the store, then it switches or it offers to switch to the store guide. But if I'm sitting in my house, I mean, Mm -hmm. unless I'm, you know, I live in an apartment building above a Home Depot or something. It shouldn't do that, right? Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, that yeah. that is that is a real miss. I can see right. that. And some do do that, but even just the other day, I was in Crate and Barrel trying to use the in-store location, so I had to turn it on, select the local store. I was in the store, <laughs> and the store I was in came up six on the list wow. of nearby stores. Wow. I was like, "What is that? What is that about?" Yeah. So. Anyway, some some misses there. Yeah. Our colleague, uh, James McQuivy, had a podcast with the head of e-commerce for Home Depot who said when they designed yeah. their in-store features... Oh, Jenny, you were on that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, when Jenny, when you and James McQuivy were, uh, had the podcast episode about Home Depot and their mobile experience, I was really struck by the insight that came from user testing about what was the most important feature to have about in-store map and discovery mm-hmm. on the mobile app. Do you remember what he said they discovered it was? No. It was where are the bathrooms in the stores, which is like one of those things that you wouldn't design for that because it's not part of your experience, right? but it is part of the store experience. Right. And I was so struck by that. I always, I will always remember it because it's like, of course, and this is why you do the research. Mm -hmm. So a good tie back to the rise of the XD function. You need these people to have that mindset, to be pushing you to test, to learn, to iterate before you push these things out. Hopefully we'll see more of that in 2019. Thank you all listeners for joining us. Uh, More podcast episodes to come next week and beyond. Bye for now. If you have feedback or questions about this week's episode, please email us at cxcast, one word, at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perceptions is your customer experience reality.